This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. City officials say Chicago has no more shelter space to house migrants who have arrived from the southern border. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Over the weekend, the mayor sent a letter to Texas Governor Greg Abbott asking him to stop sending people to Chicago. Here's Mayor Lightfoot. We are completely tapped out. We have no more space, no more resources. And frankly, we're already in a surge. We've been seeing over the last week, two to three, two to hundred plus people coming to Chicago every single day. People have been forced to sleep on the floor at O'Hare and at Chicago police stations. And the city's facing a $53 million budget shortfall to deal with this crisis. So to get more insight into the situation and what migrants need, we turn to Laura Mendoza, immigration officer with the Resurrection Project based in Pilsen, and Mario Garcia, executive director of Onward Neighborhood House in Belmont Cragen. Laura, more than 8,000 migrants have arrived in Chicago in recent months. Many of them bust from Texas after they arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border. What's the latest? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we have continued to see uh, migrants arriving in Chicago. Has whether, it been steady the whole time? And has, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously when they're when they're being brought on buses, it takes a lot more resources because um, you're getting about 50, anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty um, people at one time. Um, but in in a weird way, it makes it a little bit easier because everybody's on a bus. You kind of know what's what's happening, what's going on, what's been happening in the last. A couple of months, it's really just people making their way up here, whether it is that they have purchased a ticket themselves or a family member or maybe even an organization um, down in Texas that is trying to help them. Um, so we are seeing people kind of just showing up at different organizations, um, Resurrection Project being one of them, where people are just showing up and asking for help. And so that makes it a, a lot more difficult for us to actually get numbers for us to actually know how many people are coming I mean, in. What is that like on any given day? You're at work and... Yeah, people are just showing up in what the tens, the twenties. It kind of depends. I mean, we've had um, it's it's mainly been like families. So like one family will show up, um, you know, and so then you have. But you never know when. You never know when. Um, So you we have to make sure that all of our staff is trained and kind of knows what to do if a family does come, um, and and knows that you know, we're going to be able to do very limited uh, amount of things, right? Sometimes our, our staff is like, I wish I could do more. I wish I could take them home with me and help mm. them, right? And we are limited to being able to call 311 and kind of setting them um, on that wait list to be able to get shelter. And how are they taking that news? Um, That's I'm, devastating. It is. They were not expecting that, um, right? There's also a lot of misinformation. Um, you know, they, they, they have this idea that they're going to come here and all of a sudden they're going to have housing and all of their needs are going to be met. And so we have 
to have those really tough conversations about like there are limited resources and this is a protocol and this is kind of what you should expect um, where you're going to maybe be waiting a day up to four days for mm-hmm. you to actually be able to go into shelter. Wow. Um, you know, if, if you are a couple, um, you are going to be separated, right? You can't be in the same shelter. Um, so having those really tough conversations with them after a very traumatic um, experience that they've had and journey yeah. is is very difficult. So, Mario, I mentioned a moment ago, folks are sleeping on the floor mm-hmm. at, at police stations. How long are people there? And, and what are you hearing from them about what that's like? Oh, it's a horrible situation, and they have been there for a, a couple of days, three days, a week, to many, many days. Um, it's a very difficult situation. I think just to add to what Laura was saying, uh, we have to keep in mind that for many of them, it's been a hellish trip for a year or more getting to this country, and then when they finally make it, and they're at a hotel or they're with a community-based organization, they're hoping that they're there is a solution. There is a, a good answer, uh, and it's not. It's more about waiting. It's more indignities mm-hmm. in many cases. Even if we're all trying to do the best that we can, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, in the letter that Mayor Lightfoot sent to the Texas governor, she said, "Quote: The national immigration problem will not be solved by passing on the responsibility to other cities." In your view, Mario, who is ultimately responsible for responding? To this problem? I think we all are. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the great roles that community-based organizations are stepping in uh, and helping, just like it happened with the pandemic. I think we're finding out that community-based organizations are the safety nets in our communities Absolutely. for anybody. Uh, and once again, with immigration issues that we're having, we're there. So I think it's com- all of us, it's community-based organizations is the city and the state, which I think have done uh, a very good job of putting in resources, even though we need more. Uh, and the federal government needs to do its part. But I also think that uh, each individual in all our communities uh, can contribute to a solution, just a solution that's going to be long-term. I think communities, community members are stepping in to help short-term by donating food, donating clothes, and helping translate and all those kinds of things. But I think we also need to hear the voices of our community so Mm. that there can be a political solution uh, long-term. Because if this is something, you know, uh, Laura mentioned that this immigration, most recent wave has been happening since 2018, Mm -hmm. 2017. We started to see Migrants coming from Venezuela, from Mm -hmm. Ecuador, into the northwest side of Chicago. We've been here before, yeah. At at a city council committee meeting on Friday, 33rd Ward Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez asked if there could be foldable cots for people at the stations to sleep on and, you know, access to showers. Uh, The response was that there wasn't room to store the cots. So, Laura, what would you like to see from the city? Yeah, I mean, you know, it always comes down to resources. So, you know, not surprised that that's that's what they're saying. Um, I think first, I do want to say that, you know, the process that is set in place makes sense, right? So a family member gets here, you call 311 to be able to place them into shelter. Um, It's what ends up happening afterwards that is uh, so disjointed, right? The waiting um, in police stations for four days um, doesn't make sense. And part of that is because, Right now, there isn't really a clear process for migrants that have been here, that have been 
in the shelter system since, let's say, six months ago when we first started to see buses, there really isn't a clear path for them to be able to move into housing. So they're not being provided um, with counseling, with assistance to be able to move from the shelter to be able to move um, into their own housing. So mm-hmm. I think like that needs to happen in order to also help free up some of the space that is already there um, to make way for new people so that they're not waiting in those shelters for four days. But I mean, some of the shelters are at capacity. That's, right. that's the other side of the coin here, right? Family and Support Services Commissioner Brandy Nazis said that uh, to meet the needs of housing Uh, these newly arriving migrants, the city is going to have to consider taking buildings offline, uh, converting them to serve this purpose. Uh, But we know creating temporary shelters from vacant buildings, that's not easy to do, right? Because we've got a lot of buildings that aren't actually made for people to live in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we're talking more of of kind of this midterm uh, maybe solution, right? Which like the state has actually been able to do, which is like move people from hotels into um, housing, they, they're helping them pay for a couple months of, of rent while people figure out, um, you know, their situation, figure out how to be able to afford that rent. So we're talking about that piece is missing in Chicago. Um, you know, again, the state has been able to move about a thousand families um, into housing. They are paying for rent. That is something the city of Chicago is not doing. Um, and I think it needs to be explored to be able to see um, the ability to to make room in those shelters that yeah. are already established. So, Mario, then in, in thinking about what buildings are available in, in Belmont Cragen, uh, where Onward Neighborhood House is located, what comes to your mind? I think it, the only possibility in the Norwest side would be to uh, identify a, quite a number of the vacant uh, Lots, uh, mm-hmm. spaces, and commercial. Uh, yeah, you got some empty factories there, right? Empty factories, those kinds of things that are not conducive for for living, but it will require an investment uh, from the state and the city to make them livable for families. Especially, I think the the key thing here is that we're also getting quite a number of, of families with small children. Uh, so that's how does that complicate things for for you? Well, uh, I think for us, it's in terms of the heartbreak of uh, families not having a place to live, because one of the things that we can do is we can provide services, like we can enroll them in our preschool. Right now, about a quarter of our kids in our preschool are recent arrivals, maybe since December. Um, Hmm. Wow. Well, we know the Texas governor is expected to start sending more buses full of migrants to Chicago as early as today, Laura. So is there a plan in place to meet folks and to provide the limited services, as you outlined a few moments ago? Um, yeah, actually, the city is having a call um, with community-based organizations later today, um, at I think at about uh, 2 p.m., um, okay. to kind of go over what the plan is. Um, I think, you know, as Mario mentioned, um, community-based organizations are, are willing and ready to be there. Um, but we definitely also need the, the resources Um you know, at the end of the day, our, our staff needs to get paid and we need to make sure that we have enough people there um, to be able to provide adequate services. Um, so we are are hopeful. We're, we're willing to work with the city. We want to work with the city, um, but resources do need to be made available. We're also expected to see more folks arriving in a few weeks once uh, a controversial federal COVID era emergency ban is is set to lift. So just can you explain Title 42 for those who aren't aware, Laura? Um, Yeah, so really briefly, Title 42 um, is not an immigration law. Um, It it is a 
a, a health care um, initiative, um, and it was meant to prevent people coming in um, during the pandemic so as to avoid um, more more people being infected by COVID. That's how it was sold. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be to prevent um, COVID, to prevent the pandemic. To to Uh, limit the number of people coming in. Correct, to limit the number of people. People were not able to come in. um, And so they were being essentially stuck in Mexico, which is like the Mexico-U.S. border. Um, The pandemic, right, uh, the the federal government is basically going to state May 11th that the pandemic is over, right? COVID is, is no longer a thing. Therefore... Um, Title 42 no longer really makes sense because Mm -hmm. you're saying that this law is to prevent the spread of COVID. And now May 11th, um, the federal government is saying that COVID is a pandemic is not happening anymore. So um, that's going to allow people then to be able to come and seek asylum in the U.S. as, um, you know, they're supposed to. And so that means that people that have been at the border for now the past three years, um, because then people have waited that long to be able to come in, um, you know, are going to be able to to present at the border um, and claim asylum. So, Mario, are are we in a place to be able to meet this influx of people? No, I I think uh, in terms of resources, but I think in terms of the 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 spirit of uh, folks. Uh, my experience over the last, uh, since like eight months, since August 31st, is that community-based organizations have stepped in. And the community at large, mm-hmm. whether it's donating food or, or money, uh, have helped. But it's still going to be, there's not enough resources, let's put it that way. So final thoughts on what you want to see from the city and our, our next mayor. I'll let you go first, Mario. I would say that resources and uh, bring community-based organizations uh, m- more for planning purposes because we're down there in the trenches uh, so that we have a more uh, a, a better plan, more effective plan uh, in order to meet the demand. Yeah. And Laura? Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. I think, um, you know, a lot more resources. You know, we do have a new mayor, Mayor-elect Johnson, coming in. So his continued commitment and support to be able to to do this, um, to, to think through some innovative ways maybe of, of how do we address this. Um, and then also I think we need to um, push the federal government, right? Because at the end of the day, um, we can have as many resources as possible in the city of Chicago, but policy at the federal level needs to be addressed to mm-hmm. be able to make sure that people have a legal path to be able to stay in the city, to be able to work, um, you know, and to be able to to become legal permanent residents and U.S. citizens. Mm. We'll leave it there for now. Laura Mendoza is from the Resurrection Project and Mario Garcia from Onward Neighborhood House. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Ethan Schwab and Dan Tucker. Take Reset with you on the go and stay up to date on all the big stories happening near you with the Reset podcast. And out today, the Reset newsletter. Sign up at WBEZ.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's talk again tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.